well, uh, I, I'm leaving. I'm asking you to pray. Uh, I'm leaving on uh, Tuesday. I was in Romania a couple of weeks ago, uh, stirring up the churches, the Christians, towards an outreach that starts this Thursday. Uh, by the grace of Jesus, Radu, who often plays the keys, he's not here tonight, he is from the city of Sibiu, and we are going back to his hometown to preach the gospel. So cool. He moved here four years ago from Sibiu, and now he's going home uh, to play worship while I get a chance to preach. And so we have 11 outreach events, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So 11 events in four days, and I ask that you would pray for that. And here's a trick. So like, how, how do you do that? I only have one message, like literally. Uh, when you go to share the gospel in Sibiu or in Arua or anywhere, even though the text changes, like what I'm talking about, and the theme changes, and the stories change, I really only have one message. As, and, and as a preacher of the gospel, or as an evangelist, you only get one story, and it's God's, right? And so we're in Mark, and I want you to think like Mark is thinking. Remember, Mark is fast-paced, and he's quick. And tonight, we read through the verse 13 verses, which is like the prologue, the introduction. And once all the setup for Jesus is there, Mark does not waste any time. Look at verse 14. We're going to look at verses 14 and 15 tonight. So after Jesus went to the wilderness, boom. As after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And this is in quotes from Jesus. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, Jesus, according to Mark. Now Mark just slams this all into one statement right up front. And as we read the next couple of chapters, it's going to unpack all that is the overflow of what Jesus' uh, mission and his message were. And so tonight, what we're going to look at is the central teaching of Jesus. And to be fair, because it's so big, even though the statements are really small, uh, we're going to chop this up into two weeks. I'll be in Romania uh, next Sunday. Uh, but Tim McDonald, who's the pastor of leadership and mission here at Solid Rock, who really is helping to push us as a church movement forward on living on the mission of Jesus, he's going to unpack next Sunday the implications of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. But tonight, what we want to do is just see it from a big picture, go word by word, verse by verse, lay the foundation, because Jesus preached a message, and as we're going to see tonight, it's the kingdom of God. But what does that really mean? So tonight will be more of the background, and next week more of the application. Well, let's just look at the verses word by word. It says, after John was put in prison. Uh, that's one word in Greek, parodidomai, and it means to be handed over. And John is setting us, uh, I'm sorry, Mark is setting us up here because he's always doing something intentional. And first he says, John was parodidomai, he was handed over. And then Mark, throughout the rest of the gospel, is going to use that same phrase for Jesus and for his followers. So John handed over, put in prison. Jesus handed over, put on trial. Handed over from the Jews to the Romans. Handed over to the centurion and put on the cross. And the disciples of Jesus are going to be handed over. Why does Mark start this way? Because when he's laying out Jesus' message, it helps to know the framework the framework for the message of Jesus is that those who share the message are handed over. Isn't that good news? It's hot outside, you're sunburned, you're dehydrated, 
you want to preach the message of Jesus, you are going to be included in those who are handed over. It's not always easy. Now, why does Mark say this? Remember what we've been studying the last five weeks? Uh, the, t- the people that Mark is writing to are in Rome. They're being persecuted for their faith. So John is a picture of what's to come. John is handed over to be persecuted. Jesus is handed over to the cross. The disciples will be handed over. And so he says to the Romans, don't be surprised. Our message is dangerous. It's life-giving, but people don't always receive it with joy. Have you ever tried to share the good news of Jesus? I mean, your life's been changed. And you just want to share, like, you don't want to be mean. You want to share the love of God, and you get the stare. Like, are you from outer space? Do you actually believe that? Well, you're in good company. John's handed over. Jesus is handed over. Now, when John is done, John's put in prison. It says early verse 14, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, why does he go to Galilee? Jerusalem is the epicenter of where the temple is. It's the center of worship. But John is out in the desert by the Jordan River. Jesus is in the north in Galilee. And most of your Jewish religious ritual is in the south in Jerusalem. And I think this is encouraging. One little quote about Galilee. How many of you have been to Galilee? A few of you have. About five or ten for the rest of us who can't even figure out where Banks is. Um, Galilee, that was a joke. (laughs) Where is Banks? Uh, Galilee was the center of a humming political and commercial life. It stood at the crossroads of nations of the ancient world through which the armies and traders and diplomats passed. Galilee was the home of a thoroughly cosmopolitan population. So you have Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. We've all been heard in the marketplaces. And you have Syrian and Jew and Roman and Parthian. They all mixed freely. Galilee up in the north wasn't as heavily Jewish populated. It was an eclectic mix. And this is just so cool. Small aside, it's not about the message of Jesus, but worth saying. John had his time and place. He had his moment And then he's handed over, he's gone, desert, prison, and death. Jesus in the north in Galilee, he had his time and his place. I think it's beautiful how Mark marks that out for us. And I think the same thing could be said for all of us. You have a time and a place. As a Jesus follower, there's a space for you. Like John had his mission and his location, and Jesus had his mission and his location. They all had a message to share And this just encourages me because John is full of the Holy Spirit from birth. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And you and I receive the Holy Spirit when we come to faith in Jesus. And so part of living as a follower is enjoying the privilege of saying, God, what is my time and what is my space? And so if you've ever been frustrated, ever feel like, God, when are you really going to use me? It may not be your time yet. John had his moment. Jesus had his moment. Or maybe you feel overwhelmed because God's opened up all these doors and you don't know what to do. Either way, if you have the Spirit of God, you'll have exactly what you need when you need it. God has a time and a place. Isn't that encouraging? At least I encourage myself in the Lord. All right. So proclaiming. So Jesus goes to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And that the word there, proclaiming, could also be preaching. It's the word kairuso. It's the same word used in Mark 1 verse 4 when John the Baptist comes proclaiming or preaching. So, so John is a preacher and Jesus is preaching. 
Now he's preaching what? He's proclaiming or declaring or heralding the good news of God. Now that is a, a little catchphrase. For us, it's so familiar we don't think about it. But remember, this sits early in Mark's gospel. So Jesus thrusted on the scene, proclaiming the good news of God. If you are a Jew or have some Bible background in the first century when you're hearing this, your mind immediately goes, this is a quote from Isaiah 61. Write that down, Isaiah 61. I'll put it up on the screen because we're not gonna really go through it. I just want you to see it. Isaiah, uh, it, uh, and in this part of Isaiah, it's about this suffering servant, about this messenger of God who's promised hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. God speaks through this prophet and this is what we hear. The Spirit of the Lord, now when, when Isaiah is giving this, this is as if the person who's going to fulfill it is speaking. So think of Jesus saying this. Because as a matter of fact, Luke chapter 5, if you read it, quotes this as well as the main mission of Jesus. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. There was a spirit of expectation. So if you're in the first century and you're hearing this, Isaiah's prophecy, you're waiting for one to come. You're waiting for God's deliverer to arrive. And when God's deliverer arrives, he's going to proclaim Caruso. He is going to share, declare, this good news to poor, broken, captive, imprisoned people, and he's going to bring great liberty. And, and so when Jesus stands up and proclaims the good news of God, this is not just Jesus with a nice, feel-good message. He's standing in the wake of Isaiah, and by simply proclaiming good news, he's taking the role that Isaiah says this servant of God is going to take. So um, now he proclaims the good news. What's the good news? Uh, the word here in Greek is euangelion. Uh, it also means gospel. So some of your translations would say gospel. And so Jesus is announcing gospel, good news. And, and for us now, what does it mean for us to proclaim the gospel? Jesus is proclaiming the good news of God. For us, proclaiming the gospel is speaking the good news of Jesus. So if you want to be a follower who, who is obedient to share of the good news of Jesus, just speak about anything Jesus has said and done. You say, well, I, I can't preach the gospel. Jose, that's not me. You want to go to Romania, get some frequent flyer miles, eat some great food, help people know Jesus? Fine. That's not me. Anytime you stand up and share anything that Jesus has done, Jesus himself is the good news. And when we speak of him, we're declaring the good news. John the Baptist, a proclaimer. Jesus, a proclaimer. And now we, his children, whether we feel like you're a public speaker or not, is irrelevant. You are a proclaimer. You're a mom or dad. You, you open your children's storybook Bible at night and read a story of the goodness of Jesus with cartoon colors. You're proclaiming. You're giving good news to your kids. And I would just encourage you, ask God to give you more boldness to be a proclaimer. Now, what does he say? And that's what we're going to spend the most of our time looking at tonight. He, he comes proclaim the good news of God, verse 15. Now we'll get to it. The time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. 
Repent and believe the good news. So two things are happening here. If you're a note taker, two parts, and we're going to divvy up the rest of our time on these two. Part one is the announcement. He announces something. He says, the time has come. So, so Jesus's mode here is to announce uh, the kingdom of God is near. And then the second is the response. And it's, it's right there in verse 15. Repent and believe. So an announcement, kingdom of heaven is near. Kingdom of God is near. Uh, and uh, and the, the response is repent and believe the good news. So let's, let's look at the first half. What is the announcement? The time has come. Now time here is not like we think, what time is it right now? It is, anyone know the time? It's six, what? 620? 6.47. Ooh, I'm running out of time. Um, right, time, time. You think clock, watch, beginning, end, movie starts, movie ends. And that's chronos, that's chronology, that's watch kind of time. But what Jesus is declaring here is the time, and he uses a different word, and it's kairos. It is a special moment, a special event. For Jesus, the time that they've been waiting for. Hundreds and hundreds of years of expectation. 400 years of no prophetic voice, no prophetic writing, no new understanding of who God is. And Jesus arrives and says, all you've been waiting for has culminated in me. The time, kairos, has come. The kingdom of God is not far off, it's near. This would be just like uh, for those of you who had this experience, when your wife says, honey, she's pregnant, she's ready, she is with child, like popping out, and she says, honey, it's time. Now she's not like, it's 647. No, it's like, get up, let's go to the hospital, water is a bust in, you know, babies are coming, insurance bills are, you know, you know, all that. It's coming. And so Jesus announces once for all, everything that human history has been waiting for is now come. Kairos time. Now, three questions that we need to answer that are going to help us understand what the kingdom of God is. Because when we think of the gospel, let's be honest, when you think of, oh, I want to share the gospel with someone, would you even think about saying, well, I need to tell them about the kingdom of God? Would you? I, I, growing up, that was like not even in the vocabulary. It was, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, right? I've sinned and broken God's law, but Jesus has come and fulfilled the law completely, and Jesus is perfect while I'm broken, and he died and rose again, and if I'll respond and trust to him, I'll live forever. That's like, nowhere in the lingo was the kingdom of God. Ironically, Mark says Jesus' summary statement is the kingdom of God is near. So what does that mean? Three questions to help us discern it. Question number one, what is the kingdom of God? That's a good place to start. What's simply what is the kingdom of God? It's God's rule. It's where God, as the king, is able to enact his desires. And so uh, the kingdom of God is near. Other um, gospels say the kingdom of heaven is near. It's interchangeable because the kingdom of God or heaven is where God is able to do all that he wants to know. He's saying, wait a minute. God is not able to do all that he wants to do. Um, remember the prayer of Jesus, where our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy what? Will be done on as it is in. Isn't that weird? I mean, if God does whatever God wants to do, why would Jesus invite us to go to the Father and say, 
God, we're praying with you that what you will on earth, uh, in heaven, will be done here on earth. It's because there are other wills at play on earth. As we're going to read all throughout the Gospel of Mark, there is evil, Satan and his demons. There's human will. People resist Jesus. Jesus could not heal in his home, own hometown because of the people's unbelief. They didn't believe that Jesus was who he claimed. Isaiah 61, he's the son of man. He's Messiah. They did not believe. So on earth, we're wrestling. But there is a place where God's will is always done, and that's God's space. In the scriptures, you often see it as heaven. So here's the beautiful thing. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come. Is Jesus' way of saying, in God's space, what God wants to do always happens. But on earth, because of our rebellion, it happens in part. Whenever you and I obey what we know to be true of Jesus, God's kingdom has come to your home. When a husband and wife love each other, like Jesus says to love one another, God's kingdom has come to their home. When parents parent in a way that is Jesus-centered and honoring to God, God's kingdom has come. Where there are spaces where people ignore who God is and live the way that they want to live, God's kingdom has not come to that space yet. But Jesus says, and this is the beautiful thing, he says God's kingdom is near. So what does Jesus mean by has come near? What does he mean by that? He means that it's within reach. In Jesus' coming, uniquely, now God had sent prophets with messages. He had sent angels for moments of time to do special things. But now, when Jesus breaks in and is born and is now doing God's stuff, he's declaring the entire universe is about to change. And it begins with his coming, the kingdom of God, Jesus always does what's right. True or false? True. Wherever Jesus is, the kingdom of God is near. Anyone who encounters Jesus is encountering the king. And so, so Jesus is saying a whole new way of living has just broken out into the universe and it's come to you. Now, we have our own view of what this means, but what would this have sounded like to like a first century Jew? Someone who's listening to Jesus or listening to Mark's gospel, what would it sound like to them? Well, you got to remember, and we've talked about this a bunch, that in the first century, the Jews marked off time in two eras, or uh, two eras, or epochs, or whatever you want to call them. Not Ewoks, but epochs. Like two, two markers. There's this present age, and there's the age to come. They just believed they were living. All humans were living in this present age because they read the Bible. And when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve believed a lie, and everyone after them, the age that we live in, the era that we live in, is marked with sickness and death and rebellion. Just look around if you're in the first century. All Jews are being oppressed by Rome, and they're the people of the kingdom of God. And they have no freedom and no political clout, and many are treated like slaves. But they're living in the, in the present age. In this world, there will be trouble. But they believed that God, in one sweeping moment, it would happen in a flash. Messiah would come and usher in the age to come. And in the age to come, God, like King David ruled, 
with justice and the kingdom of God spread like King David. God himself, Yahweh, would come, lead God's people, enthrone a Jewish king, and there would be peace, and there would be joy, and there would be prosperity in the land. That's what they believed. There's the present age. One day, like lightning flash, we enter the age to come where Yahweh, God their king, rules. Uh, the kingdom of God is near is, is actually a quote from Isaiah 40. You may want to write this down. Isaiah 40, verses 9 and 10. Again, I'll put it on the screen just for time. Um, I want you to see it. You who bring good news to Zion. This is like this big declaration. Backtrack. Some of you missed some earlier teachings. Isaiah 40, at this time, God's people are in bondage. They're in slavery. Um, they're ruled by the Babylonians. And in the middle of this, a message of hope comes. Go up on the high mountain, you who bring the good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say that the towns of Judah, here is your God. They're in the middle of bondage. But something's going to happen. Good news is going to be declared. See, the sovereign Lord, Yahweh, comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. They expected the day of the Lord when God would bring in this age to come. The day of the Lord is when Messiah comes, that it would be God himself ruling with a mighty arm. Now that last line, and he rules with a mighty arm, is a good translation. But in Jesus's day, and don't, don't get lost here, the, the Bible is written in Hebrew, but just like most of us say, say speak English as a primary language, in many homes there's English and Spanish. In Jesus's day, most people didn't speak uh, biblical Hebrew. Most of them spoke the language of the day. They spoke Greek or they spoke Aramaic. Now the Aramaic translation of this last piece of that verse where it says, and he rules with a mighty arm, in Aramaic, when Jesus would have read it in his uh, synagogue, it would have read, the kingdom of God has come near. Now again, because this is translating from Hebrew, it looks a little different Here's the point. Jesus is picking up on the message of Isaiah. While God's people are in bondage, someone stands up and declares with force, Yahweh, the ruler, the king has come. Except Jesus isn't declaring just that Yahweh has come. He's saying, I've come. The time has come. I'm here. The kingdom. I'm the king. And I've come to bring in God's rule and God's reign. One other verse that may be helpful if you're new to the Bible Write this down and look it up. Daniel chapter 2, uh, verses 44 and 45. I'll throw it up on the screen as well. Uh, Daniel is another prophet who has this vision. Nebuchadnezzar, actually, the Babylonian king, has a vision, disturbs him. And God gives Daniel this, this epic interpretation of what God's going to do. Now, Isaiah and Daniel are writing at the same time. Isaiah says in the middle of bondage, this message of good news is going to go out. Well, Daniel gets this interpretation. I'm reading just a sliver. It says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar had a vision of this tower, of this figure that began to crumble. And Daniel, by God's grace, is given insight. And he says, these are different kingdoms, and they're all going to crumble. But there will be a kingdom, and this is what he's alluding to, that will never be destroyed, nor will ever be left to another people. It will crush the other kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. The great God has shown the king 
what will take place in the future. Why do I bring these up? Is because we're not sitting in this expectation. We're like, if, if it's in a movie, we're in like movie three. Ever watch a trilogy and you've seen all three of them? Ever try showing someone episode three without one and two? It's like, you, you, gotta, you gotta fill in all this backstory. And so Daniel and Isaiah are backstory. If you're at the time of Jesus, you're waiting for Messiah, Isaiah 40, to come. You're waiting for the kingdom, Daniel 2, to come. And that is exactly what Mark tells us. Jesus declares. This expected rule of God has now come. So that's the announcement. Jesus is a king and he's announcing God creator is king and his rule is about to come. As a matter of fact, it's here. It's at hand. Now, if this is true, if Jesus is announcing that a ruler, the creator is the ruler, and he's come to rule in the lives of men and women, what's the natural response? Here's a beautiful thing. Jesus says it back in Mark 1, verse 15. The kingdom of God has come near. What's the right response? Repent and believe the good news. So when we think about our lives and think about tomorrow and you go to the office, you go to school, you're in your neighborhood and we want to be a people who share this love and this message of Jesus. Uh, like Jesus, we have a two-part approach to whenever we have a conversation with anyone. Part of our role is to announce. We're announcing the story of God. We're, we want to help people know where they fit in the story of God. There is a creator. He made the heavens and the earth and he made you. And there is rebellion, and, and, and God deals with rebellion with justice. But yet God is loving and caring, and he's always been with his people. And you could take people, depending on what they know of the Bible, you, if you take it from the beginning of the book through, you see the story of a loving God pursuing an obstinate and rebellious people. But God loves rebels, and he again and again and again. And then where God's rebellious people call on him. He listens, and he rescues, and he saves and the epitome, the pinnacle of this salvation is in the person of Jesus. But whenever we announce what God has done and wants to do, it invokes by its nature a response. Repent and believe the good news. Now, what does it mean to repent? Uh, to repent is the word metanoeo, and it's simply two words, compound word put together. It's simple, meta, renew. Noeo, to think, renew the way you think. So you could say that Jesus is saying, repent or change your mind. That's the most literal uh, uh, meaning of what it means to repent. But it means more than just change factoids. I think it's blue. No, it's red. No, it's blue. No, it's red. No, it's blue. It's red. Okay, it's red. You know, it's not just that kind of like cranial change of mind. Throughout the Bible, God always called his people through the prophets to repent to change one's mind in our lingo, like in America, would be to have a change of heart. It's a change of direction. It's a change of affection. So, so uh, Israel is rebellious and God calls them to repent. F to repent for them meant to drop their idolatry, like this praying to this God is going to give me peace or help my crops or bless my marriage. It was to destroy those things and return to worship of God alone. So repentance is a change of mind, but don't just think, change facts. Oh, Jesus is bigger than Buddha or Confucius and his, his way of thinking. That's, that's part of it. 
but it affects the way that I live. So to repent is to imply that my allegiance has changed because my king has changed. Someone is ruling your life right now. Now in America, we get duped by self-rule. We think we rule ourselves, right? I'm my own master. I, no, actually, you inherit everything. What you know has been taught to you. There's a wonderful educator who invested in your life. Well, underappreciated, underpaid, they're called teachers. And they've invested in you. And so there are other authors, other speakers, other YouTube videos, whatever, you know, like whatever your source of information is, you have been poured into. So you're a product of what has been poured into your life. The question is, is your leader King Jesus? And so the right response for all of us when we encounter this announcement that God has broken in is to repent. That means to turn away and change allegiance from things that are unlike Jesus to the kingship of Jesus. Uh, another way of putting this is to give up your agenda and trust me for mine. That's what it would mean to repent. God would be telling you, you need to give up your agenda, your way of life, your values, and it's an exchange. You are saying, I am leaving mine and I'm picking up yours. And so some of us, if we grew up in church, repentance was always about feeling bad, right? Like, Yodder, I saw what, you know, I didn't see what you did this afternoon, but you know, Jesus has a video camera and it could see through walls and it sees to the things you were thinking. So I know you didn't do it, but you wanted to do it, you know? And like some of you are like, oh, how did you know? How did you know? Because I know me. <laughs> I don't know. It, but we have this feeling like to repent. It's like, oh, I'm dirty. Well, well, if you have been living rebellious, you ought to feel bad about that. But it's actually a liberating word. To repent is to say like, I am trying to do life without you, God. But you know how life is done. I'm going to drop my attempt and I'm going to hold on to your plan. I'm going to hold on to you. And so tonight, the beauty is every one of us is given the opportunity when we hear that God loves us and has sent his son to rescue us, you tonight can repent. You could say to God what he already knows. You're not God. And you say, God, I want to learn of your ways and I want to follow you. And tonight I pray that over your life. To repent, it's to turn to Jesus because Jesus' way is best. And then it's to believe. So, so anyone have a, a coin I don't have change. I've got a credit card. Anyone have a coin real quick? Uh, no one? We are in a totally cashless society. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like ricochet. Thank you very much. <laughs> Lord? <laughs> I love it. So I think to me this is the easiest way to, to get this in my own soul. To repent, and Jesus says repent and believe the good news or trust the good news. Um, the front side, this happens to have George Washington, it's a quarter, and on the back side, oh, it's one of the, oh, it's a North Carolina one. I used to live there. It's a little first in flight, you know, a little fancy schmancy picture on the back. So which side is a quarter? The front side or the back side? Both. In order for this to be a legitimate quarter, there are two sides that make up the same coin. And so Jesus is not saying, if you do this, oh, but if you fall short of this, then you can't follow me, you can't be a part of the kingdom. If you're really a part of the kingdom, you have at some point repented and believed. There are two sides 
of the very same coin. Now, what does it mean to believe? And this is a tricky one because in America, to believe means to think whatever I think. But belief in, in Greek, the word is pistuo, and it means to trust, to believe to the extent of complete trust. So the idea here is not this, this just, I believe there's a God, of course. There's some being. I believe that Jesus is great, of course. Oh, I'm a part of the kingdom of God. No. Um, to believe in the biblical sense, in Jesus' sense, is to believe to the point of absolute trust. It's to the point of action. So uh, 20 years ago, Carmen and I were about to celebrate 20 years of marital bliss. Marital bliss because she's awesome and I'm annoying. Yeah, I know. And so uh, you're clapping, but we're going to be gone the second weekend because we're going to Mexico and celebrate. So like, oh, we'll be tan and happy. So, so um, let's just think about belief. If I, if I think about a wedding ceremony. 20 years ago, um, I put my trust that this lovely woman, that, that what we said, we would live out. And so we took vows and we stood before my dad who officiated our wedding and we said these vows. I put my trust, I put my absolute trust that what I'm saying is not just words. I believe that you love me. And then two weeks later, I'm just going to do whatever I want. No, I, I put my wholehearted trust that this woman would live with me and I would live with her and we made a covenant, an agreement to walk out life together. So belief is more than just mental assent. I think this is true. It leads to a whole new way of life. And so I believe that we're going to live life together forever. Well, that means I'm doing something. I'm putting my absolute hope on this relationship. And in the same way, repentance and belief and or trust require action. It's not passive, it's active. And so I could say, oh, I believe she's super hot and she's amazing and we're going to live our life together. But it took action. I had to step out and do something about it and propose and take the risk. And, and, and we're living in the wake of that trust. And it's not a one-time act. The beautiful thing about repentance and belief, this is small Greek nuances that may not mean a lot, but um, it's in the present and perfect, which means it's not a one-time act. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. He's not saying, one time repent, one time believe this good news. It is a continual act. So followers of Jesus repent all the time, and we place our trust all the time. And this time, it's not on a husband or a wife, because we're frail and we mess up. It's not on a human person. But in that analogy, we're putting our whole weight and our trust on the faithfulness of Jesus. I'm putting my whole weight and hope and trust that what Jesus Christ has come and has done, he has done for me. And so that leads not just to a change of mindset, but it leads to a change in a behavior. So tonight, the question is, who are you trusting? Who are you depending on? Is it you? Is it your coming to church? Is it your faithfulness? I think a lot of people in America are, are, are misunderstand the words repent and believe and think that if we just do a little more and don't do the bad stuff or do the bad stuff a little less and, and give and volunteer and come to church and read Bible and go on retreats that God's going to somehow accept us. When Jesus declared, it's a change of allegiance to the new king and an absolute trust 
in the faithfulness of the king to keep us. So a couple of applications off this. Tonight, if, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, why not? Why not here? Why not right now? Tonight, in a few moments, it happens to be the first Sunday where we celebrate baptism. And I know we have at least one person who said, you know what? I've, I've repented. I've had that change of allegiance, that change of mindset, that change of agenda. I'm following Jesus. And I'm putting my trust and my hope in him. I, I'm not counting on me. I'm, I'm counting on Jesus and his faithfulness as the king. And so one young lady's about to get baptized tonight. Maybe tonight's your opportunity to step into the waters and say, you know what? Uh, I'm all in. I'm going the way of Jesus. But if you are following him, the call is to continue to repent and continue to believe. Um, and that's, so that's the basics of Jesus' announcement. And that's the call to respond, repent and believe. One little last little question because here's the challenge. This is why many people struggle with, if this is true, why is the world such a mess? So how in the world could the kingdom of God be near or the kingdom of God be present? And just look at the headlines from the Oregonian today. Headline number one, why Oregon's suicide rate is the highest in the country. Headline two, house fire south of Cornelius displaces 16 people. Another headline, 23-year-old arrested on a DUI after hitting a 52-year-old motorcyclist with his truck and killing him on Saturday. Well, this is the scariest of headlines. World Naked Bike Ride and Portland Art Museum team up this year. <laughs> Only in Portland. Um, if the kingdom of God has come, then what's up with that? How could we say the kingdom of God is here when we have all of this mess? And the answer is, and we're going to tease this out, don't miss next week, is the kingdom of God is now and not yet. Say it with me. It is now and not yet. If you look at the Gospels, you're going to find that Jesus talks about the kingdom in the present tense as now, and sometimes he talks about it as a future thing. And all four of the Gospels say the same thing. Jesus has come one time, and Jesus will come again. And so in reality, right now, we live in this time between the time. We live in this period of history where the kingdom is now. He has come. Jesus is here. Yes or no? Yes. We see the evidence of that all the time. We pray and God answers. Those who are sick are healed. Marriages that are about to fall apart are restored and made new. Think of your salvation. Think of what you were before Jesus and how your character has changed. Even by reading a book, the Bible is transforming our minds and our character. So the kingdom of God is now, but the kingdom of God is not yet. We don't see it all in its fullness. That's why we have orphans, millions of orphans around the globe. It's why we have brokenness. It's why we have newspapers that sell. Because the kingdom of God is here, but it's here in part, and it is coming. And at the return of Jesus, it will be fully come, and peace, shalom, God's spirit will rest upon the waters once again, and there will be no more brokenness. But right now, we live in the time between the times. If you're saying, Jose, that's weird and kooky. This is, again, a helpful analogy. Maybe it helps you. Um, think about a presidential election. I've said this before. President is elected on the first Tuesday of what? November, right? But they're fully inaugurated and fully take power when? 
in January. So there's this time between the times when President Obama was, was elected. He was elected president, and everyone knew he's the president. But there was this small period of time between the times where you see that his rule, he's announcing a new cabinet member. He's beginning a new policy. But later in January, his full inauguration comes, and he is fully the president and fully in control. Again, it's an analogy that breaks down, but it might be helpful. When Jesus came, the kingdom of God came with him. And now because the spirit of God is living inside of us, the kingdom of God is at work. So we see pieces, we see bits, we see it in part. But everyone who's healed by Jesus still dies. Isn't that true? So all healing is temporary right now, but we pray for it. And here's the beautiful thing. We can live in the expectation right now that because the king is here, anything is possible. But yet we also live with a humility knowing that we don't know it all and we don't get answered to it all and God doesn't answer it all in the way that we would hope and dream. I mean, we live in the time between the times. Uh, we live in the age of country music. It's proof that depravity has still come and Jesus has not returned yet because as long as that's on the airways, God help us. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> Some of you are like, preacher, shut up. <laughs> but the reality of it is um, today we can live with a great expectation. And I don't know what you're going through, but this week it was really interesting. I had a, a dear friend, a mentor of mine, uh, email uh, from California. He's been wrestling with cancer the last three or four years. And he's about to do a mission in Romania a week after mine. And he had to cancel the whole thing. Loves Jesus. He's a preacher of the gospel. And the cancer in his lungs has just spread. And the doctors have given him very little hope. At the same time, another good friend was driving on I-405. And she looked down for a fraction of a second to stop a podcast. And looked up and all traffic had stopped. And she smashed the end, uh, to, the, to the rear of another car. Cracked her sternum scratches. By the grace of God, she's alive. We live in the time between the times. Jesus-loving people go through strange and sometimes horrific things, but we're not without hope. So I was talking to my friend, uh, Dan, and he's like, I'm praying. I'm ready. He's like, Jose, as an evangelist, we prepare people to die. What a sobering thought. As gospel proclaimers, we prepare people to die, but we also prepare people to live well in the kingdom of God. So no matter what you're going through, call on Jesus. And tonight, we're going to invite you to do just that. I don't know where you're at with the, the good news, but tonight, if you've not yet received Jesus, you can repent. You can believe. You can be baptized tonight and walk in the water saying, I am out with the old, and now I give my allegiance to King Jesus. And this is the good news. Now, how do we, how do we actually tease that out? How do we live that out in the day-to-day? -day? Next week, Tim's going to come and unpack some of the implications of the kingdom of God. Well, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go to the table in a few moments. I'm going to open up the waters for those of you who are ready to be baptized. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come, and you're here, and you're now, and you're at work, and so there's nothing too big for you. There's no challenge too large that you can't step in and redeem and change. And so we call on you. God, you know our stuff. You know our situation. You know our strugglings. We call on you tonight, Lord Jesus. Tonight, we followers, we repent. 
of holding on to our own agenda, our own plan, our own philosophy. We lay that down. We hold on to you, Lord Jesus. You are the king. We worship you. And we believe. Jesus, we put our absolute trust that apart from you, we could do nothing. But all things are possible to anyone and everyone that believes. So Jesus, we want to be a people that are of your agenda and wholeheartedly trusting you. Help us. We need you. And tonight, you know our weaknesses. You know our failures. And yet you call us close. So we come to you in Jesus' name.